0: Welcome
1: back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Gene Bresson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. And today we have a very special program. We have a guest with us. Um, This is Kathleen, who is a patient that Gene took care of. Kathleen's her own person, obviously, but in the context of this meeting, we're going to learn about how you guys work together. Kathleen, well, tell us us about yourself.
2: Okay, so I met Gene when I was 14 years old. Um, When I was so
1: like a year and a half ago. Yeah, I wish (laughs) like a year and a half (laughs) ago.
2: How time flies. Um, I, my father had um, had a heart attack and died um, suddenly on Christmas Eve, um, 1984, and by February of 1985, I was meeting Jean in the pediatric ward at Mass General, and. yeah, and and that that's kind of where it it all started. Um, what was it? This whole long twenty some odd years of knowing him and all the different things that I've been through. But when it all started, it was all just me being a depressed kid who decided that I couldn't control the world, so I figured I'd control what I could, which was what I could I could control what I ate or what I didn't eat. I could so that that's. I think where my brain went with that, and that's where the iteration kind of came in. But then from there, this thing has a whole life of its own, and you don't even get it. You kind of can't even realize it until you have it, and then you're talking to other people who have the same wacko thoughts that you have.
1: You talk about the an eating disorder, yeah. like like and in your case it was anorexia. Anorexia. So, yeah.
2: So you talk to somebody else who has it, and like they have the same weird thoughts that you have, and it's 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 really unnerving <laughs> to think about. Um, but, uh, yeah. Un- well, let me just ask you about that.
1: Unnerving because y- did you want it to only be yours and it's unsettling? No, I just
2: didn't understand, like, why I had these weird thoughts. And then I was like, oh, my God, other people have these thoughts? Like, it was really like a strangeness. That it was, it, to me, it woke me up to say, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with me. This isn't just me because this is. And that was kind of a, a sign to me that I was like, oh, this is bigger than me.
1: So we want to ground that developmentally. It takes the recognition that other people have this uh, around the same age, and then you say, "Okay, there is a group that I'm part of that isn't doing so well. Therefore, I know there's something wrong. If it's just me, I'm not part of a group yet, and I can't belong, which is what matters at age 14. It's like absolutely, to something.
2: absolutely. So,
1: so that that's a really interesting insight. So, and, and you were on the pediatric ward at the time. So you were right. you were sick enough to be in the hospital. Was this a psychiatric hospital or the peds floor? I was just in the pediatric. Pediatric. Floor. So
2: how come? because my weight was low um, and basically I was not fit to be out taking care of myself
1: <laughs> so your weight was so low that they were worried that your heart and your other vital organs would not be able to function without the constant monitoring and, right. and hydration yeah. cuz i think you were what
0: you're 57 and you back then you probably came in at what 89 pounds
2: maybe Yeah. It was was, low. It was low. It was low.
0: Yeah, so it's
1: well below the... um, But it
0: it wasn't as low as it got. I mean, it got much lower. It it got lower? It got down to 69 pounds within two or three years after... Well, 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 you know,
2: actually it was a while. I think when I was like really traveling back in my mind over my sort of journey, I, I, I thought to myself, it was when when I was younger, I was on the pediatric ward, but then when it... that didn't work out so well then they put me over to to, to children's. And then I was really in a group, talk about being in a group of a group of everybody. It was just a bunch of teenage girls who all had anorexia. And so that was a weird thing too, because having that, it was comforting because you knew that somebody else was kind of going through the same thing. But at the same time, it was really off-putting. Because I like, when I think back on it now, I think of it as like group mentality and I feel like we we were probably really bad for each other, like in terms of giving each other ideas, competing with each other. So instead of sort of being there to help each other, I think we were probably hurting each other more.
1: Which is not that uncommon for 14-year-old kids anyhow. Right. To sort of go Absolutely. back and forth between I'm in this group or I'm competing with this group. But if it's literally a life or death situation, then the, then the, yeah. Um, yeah it becomes that much more stark. So how, what was your experience when you first met Kathleen? Um, well, I, <laughs> it, it was
0: unusual because, I mean, for one thing, she was not the typical you know, young girl that I would see with anorexia who was usually kind of very kind of meek and mild and yes and, and, and compliant and, friend, and friendly and, 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 but then would do you know, just the opposite. She was like at me. She was like, you know, she was feisty.
2: What are you saying? I'm a lovely girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she fought
0: must... with me from the very beginning. So like it, it was like it was like, okay, this is going to be a nice ride. So I mean, that's fine. I mean, you know, and and she would fight back. So
1: actually, we fought a lot a lot for the first few years. Well, would mean like like voices raised yelling at each well, other? She
2: would, Yeah, she would yell at me. I did turn my, I, I do believe when you first came and I took my curtain like you know how the pediatric, yeah. w- I took my curtain I literally pulled it around and I was like you can sit there for an hour I don't care I'm not talking it, to it you. It was
0: not a friendly relationship for a while and there were multiple hospitalizations in between and as you got older though I think, though, you know, you kind of became kind of a leader of the pack. I mean, because yeah. when you were when you were psychiatrically hospitalized and you were an older teenager and you were in college, you were kind of like a junior staff person. Yeah, you kind of like took care of everybody else, and 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 and, and, and the work we had together was kind of much friendlier, and we were we were beginning to work together. Well, me. So it it took a few years to so, get there.
1: So for the viewers and for other folks who think about this, it's really sometimes hard to to understand that this arguing, this clashing, is actually part of the work. Like, it's therapeutic in a way. It's working towards something. Because it feels like a fight, right? Yeah. Like it, Yeah. And yet, years later, you guys had a collaborative. But it's interesting
0: show. when she said that she felt that, you know, when you said that you felt that you couldn't control anything in your life except your weight and what you were eating. And that curtain. And that curtain. <laughs> but no, no, but that's exactly the point. Yeah, right. But but when you were fighting with me, yep. I think what we developed over time was your beginning, was your being able to be your own person. Because mm-hmm. you, know, you, you, you couldn't be your own person anywhere else, but you could certainly be your own person with me. And it changed over time, but you know you were, you were fiercely individualistic.
2: Yeah, I didn't really realize that about myself until I looked back on all this. Like, honestly, like, I never really thought of myself as sort of being like tough or adversarial. I always thought of myself as being kind of. Quiet and meek, but um, I'll tell you. Over the years, I've come to realize that is not me.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting because when I, whenever I first meet with 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 uh, girls or boys that have eating disorders, I say, you know, we got to deal with weight and we got to deal with, I, but it's really about identity, mm-hmm. relationships, and self esteem. And they think I'm crazy because here's this emaciated, thin, like sick-looking person. And I'm talking about identity and relationships and self-esteem, but, you know, underneath, I think that's what it, it's— No, that's the— …the foundation of
1: Right, it. so the early—you you guys, know, both of us, the er, before there was such a thing as psychiatry, the physicians who took care of folks who take care of the kinds of illnesses that we get to see were called alienists, and, and the reason for that was that they were alienated from themselves, the, the people they were taking care of. And the job of the physician was to help them know who their true self was. So, if, if, you know, you had this conceptualization of yourself as, um, as kind of withdrawn and a little bit quiet, and yet in your relationship with Gene, with you were able to discover that there's some spunk there. Um, and when you said you pulled that curtain, I had a big <laughs> smile because, you know, at that moment you got, ah, oh, I got something to work with here, um, if you're the clinician. Right. Yeah. right. Uh, um, damn it. No, 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 you, you Give not, up too quickly. No, it's not giving up, actually. You, you connected and did the work. Yeah. Like you did the work. Is we we yeah. just go for the ride. Right. You did the work. Yeah. What what gave you hope? I mean, you were really sick. It sounds like what?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, it's really it's really hard to to know. I guess you know. I look even if you look at stuff that's going on on TV right now, all the stuff about women and all the craziness that's going on. I think I always knew in the back of my mind that was going I was going to win, like I was going to overcome this. I wasn't going to be the victim, even to myself. like I knew that, and I don't know why I knew that, but I just I did even at my lowest moments, I, I was like, no, nah, there's something else out there, there's something at the end of this road. I don't know what it is, but this't isn't, this isn't the end of the show, you know I just I always had that little glimmer of hope, and I mean, for the most part, what it really took off was when I, yeah, when I finally made friends and I finally figured out who I was and. You just, I don't know, I just never look back. No, um, but it took a lot of horrible years, and a lot, a lot, of, a lot of hard work, a lot of sad stuff. Um,
1: it sounds, well, you mentioned the, the loss of your father, which, um, which I didn't know about until just now, and okay. I understand it's, it's hard to talk about. Do you think it's the case that there's often a, a kind of major Like stressor that then sets this kind of thing, a thing that feels out of control Mm. that then makes you want to have greater control of something else?
2: Certainly in my case I feel like that was part of it. Um, I don't know about across the board. It makes sense though, right? I mean honestly when you feel like especially as a teenager you're right Like you feel like everything's out of your control so there's a certain part of it that yeah and if something big happens and you all of a sudden just get sidetracked I think it can certainly be like a catalyst I think. Well th- yeah I mean the
0: research shows that it, separation for example like going away to camp or going away to school or some kind of a se- separation is often the beginning the beginning of So, of, of, so we of, know of, these of events
1: are associated with it whether they're causative we can't say. No. But if the story works in the minds of both the clinician and the person being helped yeah. then you use it. Okay. So the right. story makes sense. So I'm, I'm also curious do you think there are things? Because you mentioned what's on TV and what we see, you know, all of the the Me Too movement, which is so long past due. Do Do you think there are things about our culture that promote eating disorders, promote anorexia? Because that's a, something you hear and read about.
2: Oh yeah, I, well, I mean, I definitely do. Also, as Jean had mentioned a little bit when we were talking earlier, um, I did do a little stint in acting. And trust me, when you move over to LA, it's all about image. It's all about what you look like and all of that. Um, So yeah, I absolutely feel like, especially for like young girls, the images that they're being given are not realistic images. We should all wish to walk through life airbrushed, all right? But nobody (laughs) does. So I really feel like maybe they need to, like society needs to kind of open up its mind and say, you know what? You know, I kind of love the idea that back in the day, like the 70s, the Archie Bunker's place, the Archie Bunker show, right? All of those characters were great. None of them were fancy, good-looking models like you'd see on TV right now, right? Yep. So I'm like...
1: It was a deliberate move. I've read a lot about that show. That right. was a deliberate move. And I'm normally. like, that's yeah. what you
2: want to see. You want to see real people. You don't want to see fake people. But this is what society keeps throwing at us. And I, I feel bad like, for kids now because at least when I was young, I could escape. I could go home. I could hide under my pillow or whatever. You can't escape when there's you know, internet and media yeah. 24-7. And so, if you even if your parents were trying to say no, don't watch too much TV, this they can't even control that anymore, or what you're watching half the time because you're walking around with your own little device. Yeah. Device, right. I mean.
1: So, and and there have been these studies which which we know about where yeah. they've gone to countries that previously had very little media input and like Fiji, yeah, that's the stuff that Ann Becker's yeah. doing where there was no eating disorder, and then with the US onset TV. of Western television, especially Western television, yeah. they see a sudden increase in, so so if there's something you could change?
2: Well, I honestly feel like we really need to start changing the value we put on that, like on looking good. And I mean, it's one thing to like, to look good and be healthy, but it's another thing to like, you know, have these unrealistic expectations of any human being. And so I feel like if, I don't I really feel like they, as a society, we need to take a little deeper look at, you know, what, what, we're, what messages we're sending to young people even to older people, but young people in particular, because it's not getting easier out there for them from what I can see. And it certainly wasn't easy for me. And I can imagine it's gotta be twice as hard now. So, but I don't know what we collectively can do, um, other than the things like you said, the me too's. And the, and I think we're finally getting there. Uh, I think we have a lot of um, powerful women that are actually trying to make, you know, make yeah. things better. Um, but I mean, again, it's not just women too. It's images like even guys. Like if you, I, yeah. but just go with a couple of guys that were scrawny and all they wanted to do was like be, you know. Well, actually,
1: there's this is really interesting literature, which I guess we could end on. There, there's some folks who state that, that. Uh, men have actually had to undergo a greater change in their sense of what they ought to look like than women because if you look at the sort of uh, example of the of the super sexy movie star from the forties was Humphrey Bogart who was hardly ripped right <laughs> and and now it's he was cool he was yeah smart, but he wasn't ripped no. and then it makes its way up to people like you know in the 80s with Arnold and later on you've got you know these guys even um you know, the guy in Magic Mike, I mean, he's got abs where I don't have things. I mean, he's, <laughs> these guys are really, really <laughs> muscular. So, so all, of these, all of this attention to the way you look as opposed to who you are, that seems to be our So our I, I'd, like to
0: ask, I'd like to ask a question before, before we get to our, our myths. Um, when you look back, um, having gone through so much, what, what do you think helped? Because there are a lot of folks out there who are watching who are very interested and concerned about this and have kids that are, you know, and everybody, you know, is worried about about eating disorders. But, but, you know, what helped? What advice would you give to young people and to parents about what can help?
2: Well, you know, like, I do believe a lot of it is, like you said, adolescence and growing up. So it's kind of that piece. But it's really not giving up on yourself knowing that somehow convincing yourself that at the end of the day, that it's going to look different and you're going to be able to get there. But what helped me the most was finally making friends. Um, my, my, actually, what changed my life forever was when I joined theater um, because I had tried to go back to college three or four times, couldn't make, it, couldn't make a go of it. My mom's like, well, do, do something. You have to do something. So I said, all right, I'll try theater. First day I went to class. I left there, I was like, I am never going back there again. It was the most scary experience I'd ever been through in my whole life. Of course, my mother looked at me and she's like, well, I don't really know what else to tell you because you're gonna have to do something. So of course, I went back and I went back and now I actually, two of my very closest friends in the world still to this day, um, I met right there in that theater class. So that to me, and I think theater in general is kind of therapeutic in that I needed an outlet to be creative. I think, to sort of deal with um, this and not knowing what I was and being able to do that around people who were kind of creative and wanting to do that was freeing. And so I was able to connect with a piece of myself that I didn't really know existed and then, you know, become.
1: Right, so try on different yous. That's right. That, you so so that. you could practice, you
0: could, you could yeah. put yourself in different people's shoes mm-hmm. and play out different narratives. That, that was helpful.
2: I think so, and I think it was just the community around it, because it's such a, uh, it's, it's just, it's kind of a, it's a, if you're in, like, a theater group, and you know theater people, you kind of get it, and it's just, but it was, like, it was welcoming, it was all accepting. When I told these girls, like, what I had been through, and they were just like, oh, please, let me tell you my story, you know, but it was, it was enlightening, because for so long, I had been, like, this Catholic schoolgirl who was like, oh, you have to get, you have to be perfect, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. I was able to like be like, no, I don't have to do anything the way everybody else does it. I can do it but my you know, own way. But
0: you know what's so interesting about this is that is that while you're in this very supportive, connected community, and you're doing these narratives, you're also being watched. You know, your yeah. image is really important. So there's this there's this paradoxical thing about being on stage and being in the spotlight, and at the same time you know, being a part of a community. So isn't that interesting that well,
1: stage creates permission? Mm. That's kind
0: of
2: cool. That yeah. one. It does. Because, he, And it was funny, though, because when I was at, in college at Emerson, one of my um, professors wanted me to do stand-up. And, it, and he was like, I'm going to help you write, you know, and I'm going to get you set up and we're going to do a show at Nick's." And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm a serious actress. And that means <laughs> I do not go up there on stage by myself and present material that is coming from me. I go there to be somebody else and to be somebody else's <laughs> material. That is where the, the, the line is drawn. And it's really funny to this day. I still think about that. And I'm like, oh, maybe I did miss my calling.
1: It sounds like you're doing stand-up. I mean,
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, thank, you. thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, this is great. And thank talking you. to us. This is very um, welcome. It's nice to meet you. I yeah. know you already know this guy. Well, we, we know each other yeah. no. back.
0: So out. now it's time in the show for Monumental, Monumental Mental Health Myths. and so. Uh-oh. Yeah, this is an uh-oh.
1: Here's one. This, this is for me, right? Yep. Okay. Um, so, this myth, it's definitely a myth, says only girls get eating disorders.
0: Well, obviously, it's not true, I mean, you, you, well, no, guys also get eating disorders. And actually, the, in, the incidence of male eating disorders has been increasing. Mm-hmm and it used to be it used to be mostly bulimia but i think it's increasing now both with anorexia and bulimia yep. both both groups of you know now why that's happening is not clear but it's not true that it's that it's, it used to be thought that it was it was this was a girl's illness
1: so it's there are many many units that are still only female units but we know that the incidence of males is going up as you said yep. This might be actually a result of some of the changes we were saying ought yeah. to happen as we sort of re-examine the way we look at the self. But then what happened is we regressed kind of towards it's all about looking skinny, no matter who you are, or you know another. It doesn't have to be. Well, the- but you know,
0: but you know, what's so interesting about this, and this is this is a little. This may be a tangent, but the two most successful toys in history, Barbie or Barbie, and GI Joe. Joe, yeah, and they're both the paradigms of like. Folks that have eating disorders. You saw
1: the study Skip Pope did. Did you ever see that study? So Skip Pope's a psychiatrist at McLean who did this awesome study where he created um, computer models of what Barbie or GI Joe would be able to do if they actually really existed. So GI, G.I. Joe G.I. couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't move his arms up because his biceps were too big, and Barbie could not stand up. Barbie would because have because to fall t-tose. over. Because her yeah. legs are too... Yeah. the tiptoes and she, she was too big in the chest. She would have <laughs> to fall over. Like he said, it would be physiologically impossible for her to walk. So we create these, these ideals or early on. Um, and it's probably worth thinking about changing that up a little
0: bit. Yeah. Okay, so this one's for you. It, th- no, I
1: just read this one. This one's from you. Oh, this one's
0: from you to me? Yeah. Oh, that's right. So it's my turn. All right, we take turns. The main symptom to worry about eating disorders is weight loss. No, that's wrong. Um, I wonder where this myth came from. Weight loss actually is not the main thing to worry about. The, there's a lot of things to worry about besides weight loss. I mean, there's all kinds
1: of medical complications, you know, like, you know, your bones. So you it, could have, for example, um, bulimia be normal weight, but have massively dis, uh, out of balance potassium levels. Absolutely. So, from, so potassium. So, so,
0: your electrolytes can get way out of whack, and that can kind of like do your heart in. Your bones can demineralize, called osteopenia or osteoporosis. Infertility, fifteen to twenty percent. So there are all these medical complications. That's one thing. But you know, it's interesting. Um, the biggest worry um, is suicide, <clears throat> because the number one cause of death. In anorexia nervosa is actually suicide over a period of time and and so depression and suicide um, is really kind of a, a, a big worry and and even after you've recovered your weight so, so
1: if you're only <laughs> focusing on say we're de- talking about restrictive eating disorders you're only focusing on the loss of weight what you're missing are the kind of things that are behind that and one of the most interesting things about that by the way is if you're very very low weight all the antidepressants in the world won't work because you don't have enough. I mean, triphosphate. I mean, you can't make. You can't make it, so you can't right. actually. Increase
0: and again, and the thing uh, that I, I said earlier is that, you know, um, relationships, self-esteem, and identity are like the things that usually are the things that will persist to be problematic throughout your life, and they will. and, and if you don't really <clears throat> tackle them the way Kath, Kathleen did, um, they can become the real albatross. That, that, that you have to deal with. So um, there are psychological problems you have to worry about and then there are also the physical problems you have to worry about. Well, thanks a lot, everybody. And um, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, um, just let us know. We'll see you next time. I'm Gene Boreson.
1: I want to thank you, Kathleen. And, yeah, um, thanks. That's Kathleen <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Steve Schlossman. Thanks.